get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony. Justin, uh, how are you doing? You holding up after uh, after a big night last night? I'm doing well. I'm a little tired, but the sun is shining in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, so it's a good day. I had a good, got a good sermon on Sunday about forgiveness and I'm ready to go. Yeah, we just, we started a sermon on uh, a series on Corinthians. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I don't know how much, uh, there was a lot of scripture uh, in uh, from the Eagles players after, uh, after they won the Super Bowl uh, last night. Uh, but right. uh uh, I, I'm not sure how much scripture was being read in the streets of Philadelphia uh, <laughs> when <laughs> when folks were celebrating. So hopefully, hopefully they're getting back in the word today. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope they have some Bible studies tonight. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just get get cleaned back up. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's uh, great to be back uh, with you. We had a big week in in politics. We had President Trump's first. State of the Union, which, you know, I think was surreal in a number of ways. Uh, uh, we hadn't heard President Trump really, really talk on a big stage like this uh, in the way that he did, perhaps since the inaugural. And I was kind of struck by, uh, you know, the same bit of sort of underlying, you know, darkness uh to, to the state of the union even while some of the familiar tropes were 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 used uh, i'll probably talk a little bit more about that but eager to hear kind of kind of your first reactions what what did you think of of the state of the union yeah brother where i went into uh listening to that um with pretty low expectations yeah. Uh, and given that given that low bar, while I certainly had some very strong disagreements and kind of echo what you were saying, uh, I thought there were parts there were strong points to the to the address. Uh, you know, his main focus was on his achievements, whatever those may be. And uh, also he offered some broad policy prescriptions and I saw some bright spots there. Yeah. Uh, but what it, sometimes we just have to ask what the American people thought. You know, sometimes we can be in our echo chamber. We can be in our lifestyle enclave and not really know what other people are thinking. So it's important to kind of reach out and, and, and get some of that polling to see what was going on. And based on a CBS YouGov poll, it said that the majority of Americans approved of Trump's first state of the union, um, said that about 97% of Republicans approved of it, 72% of independents approved of it, and even 43% of Democrats approved. And so if anybody thought it was the worst uh, speech ever they may be in a smaller minority <laughs> right. than than they thought uh, so that's just something that to always look out for try to see what other people thinking about it maybe they saw something that uh, we might have missed but like I said I came in with fairly low expectations there were some things that I you know I was trying to find things I, I could appreciate about it and so he had a few 
uh, a few quotes about unity. Um, and some may, you know, question the veracity of that. And I get that, you know, he said, we all share the same home. We all share the same destiny as Americans. Uh, but I, I'll tell you this. I was glad to hear him talk about investments in infrastructure. You know, infrastructure is the skeleton of our country. It's our roads, our bridges, uh, deals with matters of watershed and, and so on. And this nation's infrastructure backlog is embarrassing. And uh, that not only hampers us economically, I think it's a huge safety issue that we need to address. And this administration may be looking very differently if it was one of the first issues that they actually t- had taken care of. So I appreciated the conversation about that. Also appreciated uh, the mention of uh, paid family uh, medical leave. That's something that we'll talk about a little a little later, but I was happy to hear about that. Uh, the recognition of the North Korean defector and some of the other guests that were there. Uh, you know, folks, we can say that was a political play, which, you know, very, it very, very well may have been. And right. it's a state, uh, but for it's those, a state of the union. Yeah. yeah I mean, every, everything it's a state of the union. Yeah. And for those people, yeah, I mean, yeah, you that's know. right. But, but, but for those people, though, I think right. it's important for the story to get out, especially when you're talking about North Korea. Like, we can joke around and make comparisons between this administration and theirs, but there really is no comparison. Uh, that, that administration over North Korea or that regime over in North Korea is doing some awful things to people. And I think it's a good to, to have those reminders. Yeah. Uh, some of the downsides, though, which you may be able to uh, get with, too, is, you know, he seemingly tied. I think it's MS-13. Is that is that the correct name? That's of it. the game. Yeah. 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 MS-13 to Dreamers. Um, that conversation, those, you know, the conversation about MS-13 and the conversation about Dreamers were just too close for comfort. And so I didn't think that was a good look. Uh, also, you, he made mention in passing of the NFL uh, protests which I thought was also unnecessary. So those are just a few of the things that uh, that I was thinking, but I was trying to make the best out of it, had low expectations, and it exceeded my expectations uh, for whatever that means. Yeah, right. I mean, I think the average American watching that State of the Union, I think a lot, a lot of folks were like, you know, what are Democrats all up in arms about? He seems <laughs> like, you know, he seems to be like someone who has this, has his act together. He's he's not that outside of the norm. Um, and I think that was a big goal of this speech to provide, uh, you, you know, uh, an image of, you know, a, a, a pretty, you know, stable uh, presidency that has, you know, accomplished uh, quite a lot that was working for the American people that was, uh, uh, you know, invested in the American people's uh, hopes and dreams, and I think they they really executed on that speech. I mean, I mean, I just thought watching it. If if you're confused, if you're still confused about how you know so many Americans could approve of this president, you need to watch that State of the Union through their eyes. Uh, I, I did, uh, it, you know, I, I was concerned, you know. There weren't too many, and say the unions rarely have unpopular uh, policy suggestions. The the you, you right. know the, the the general point is to only name policies that are gonna you know get sixty percent support or more. Um, but but uh, he he mentioned offhand this uh, proposal that that was really opaque, but it sounded to a lot of people like uh, increasing the. Uh, the the president's authority and political appointees authority 
to fire uh, career staff in the agencies. Uh, uh, and this would be, um, you know, depending on what he meant by it, and I still haven't seen any good clarifications, um, this would be extremely problematic if you had an environment where if a career staffer doesn't uh, doesn't uh, uh, isn't willing to review a program or execute a program in, in precisely the way that uh, that the that the White House is demanding that that person could be uh, fired. Uh, there are some real uh, some real issues with that. And so I'll be keeping an eye out uh, as to whether that goes anywhere. And, and and then just and just a, a few of the positive things he talked about. So, for instance, some of the rhetoric around immigration was positive. Some of the rhetoric around um, uh, around opioids uh, uh, was was positive. Uh, he, they use really underhanded, I think, uh, means of trying to uh, communicate those policies. And so, uh, you know, infrastructure it was. That they've squeezed in this little thing about how it's going to rely on private funding. Uh, when they were talking about immigration, uh, so, some commentators po pointed out that they uh, that it was uh, a black family that was uh, that uh, was was used as an example of how immigration could be harmful. That played on sort of historic. Uh, tensions uh black and brown tensions uh, and all of it was was you know politically strategic uh and, and I thought uh, under underhanded now they have the right to do that but as I was watching the state of the union I I thought you know this this is operating on a number of levels <laughs> yeah I think I think that's right part of it may have been to say we're stepping out here on some of these policies Let's not go too far away from our base, right? Let's right. let's let's give them at least something. You know, when you're talking about family medical leave, when you're talking about DACA, uh, you're talking about infrastructure. Those aren't things that the Republican base are too they're too big on. And so maybe uh, if we're going to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, maybe it's just trying to say, yeah, we're going to put these big things out here that I know you don't like, but we're not too far away from you. We're, we're still going to try to pull you in and get your support. That may have been part of it. Uh, the conversation about DACA, I was I was glad that he mentioned it and said that he's trying to get a deal done again. He kind of undermines that with the talk of MS-13 and connecting that to the Dreamers. People were upset about the comment that all Americans are Dreamers. And I think it's very close to, you know, all, all lives matter type conversation. <laughs> so people were somewhat upset with that. What I'm worried about, and I'd love to hear what you, you think about this, is that the bases of both parties may not want to get a DACA deal done right now um, and for different reasons. So for the Republican base, I worry that they may just not want to do one at all, even if the administration wants it. They're just trying to get out of it. For Democrats, I worry, and maybe even if this is only a small minority, it may be enough to stop the deal, that there may be some people who don't want to do the deal under Trump and give him that victory and also would like to use the whole immigration conversation as a wedge issue for uh, the midterms. I really do hope I'm wrong on that, but I have a sneaking suspicion that that could be the case, at least for some, and it might be enough people to make sure that this deal never happens. Any thought, thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, th that has been the sort of perennial or, you know, like long lasting concern that, uh, 
that Hispanic uh, voters, particularly, you know, uh, uh, immigrants who uh, uh, did not have status are being used as, as pawns to send a message about, you know, how heartless the Republican Party is without folks really um, working to get a deal done. I, I will say, <laughs> you, you know, I've I've heard some rumblings along those lines. I think some people are are holding out hope that um <laughs> that since we're talking about young people and since we're talking about a pretty defined population that um th th that the this the serious sort of sort of human lives at stake uh uh would would prevent that but uh, th th that's always been a possibility. I, I will say, uh, so just uh, on Monday, uh, Senator John McCain and Senator Chris Coons, a Democrat from Delaware, who's been doing a lot of bipartisan work, uh, who who we've talked about on the show before, uh, uh, released uh, uh, new legislation uh, to address this problem that, that hopefully will pick up some steam. Uh, I know that uh, activists and advocates like Alita Garcia with Ford have been uh, really just working their hearts out. And especially the dreamers have been up on the hill. They've been, I mean, they should just be able to live their lives. And instead they're having to having to tell legislators that their lives are important. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of people who are working earnestly on this. And, you know, we need to hold everybody's feet to the fire. We need to hold Republicans' feet to the fire. We need to hold the Trump administration, uh, uh, their feet to the fire because they helped precipitate this. Uh, uh, we need to hold Democrats' feet to the fire. <laughs> they need to not move the goalposts. They, they need to uh, not, uh, not play games with this. We need a deal to get done. The job is to get to 60 votes in the Senate and force this onto President Trump's desk. And uh, then if he vetoes uh, a bipartisan solution out, out of a Republican Senate, then, then that's on him. Then the where the blame is placed will be clear. Uh, but it's, it's Democrats' responsibility, as difficult as it is with a Republican Senate, uh, uh, to, to, to do their best to get, to get a bill to the president's desk. That's right. Well, uh, it will, you know, I think this Coons-McCain bill will be interesting to watch. McCain has been working on immigration reform for uh, for over, uh, you know, a decade in the in the present modern era of trying to get comprehensive immigration reform done. And then Chris Coons is one of the uh, maybe handful of Democratic senators who I think Republicans trust. Uh, to be an honest broker, uh, someone who's built real relationships uh, with Republicans. And so when I saw that uh, that that story uh, out over the last 24 hours about Coons and McCain working together, it, it gave me a sense that, that this is something that could really gain some bipartisan traction. But we're just going to have to uh, check that process out. Uh, another issue that could gain some bipartisan traction, which you mentioned earlier, Justin, is paid family leave. We heard President Trump discuss it in his State of the Union. We know Ivanka Trump has really been uh, pulling together meetings and, and talking about how important this issue is to her. Politico has an article out today um, about how Ivanka Trump 
and uh, Senator Rubio are uh, working to find creative ways to persuade Republicans to get behind robust paid family leave when it's not, you know, typically a Republican uh, program, though, you know, people like Brad Wilcox, uh, Ross Stalfett and others have been expressing openness and providing real ideas of how that could be done within a conservative framework. But uh, just in the, I mean, paid family leave is a priority uh, for 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 me. I think it's a central part of of building a 21st century American economy that that works for families and pro-family economic policy, I think, should be a, a, a guiding value of um, all American policymaking. But what do you make out of this? Do you think it'll just turn out to be uh, some some talk or do you think that there's some real potential of, uh, you know, concrete, substantive policy work being done here? I'm hopeful, uh, just like you. I'm a, a big fan of uh, family uh, focused policy. And this is one of those policies I think fits into that uh, into that mold. Uh, it's one that Republicans don't usually touch. And which is why I'm impressed by the fact that Ivanka and uh, Senator Rubio have picked this up and are trying to kind of lead the charge just so everybody understands what's going on. Really, it's an attempt to make sure that uh, Families don't go bankrupt over family medical issues. So if you have an issue, your wife's having a baby or something else is happening. Do you have time that you can take off of work to support, you know, to support a family member going through those issues without losing your check and not having any income? That's what this is trying to address to make sure that when people take off for those very serious issues, uh, that they do have some backup and have some uh, finances coming in. The interesting part about this particular uh, policy, which isn't finalized yet, but we have uh, a, a somewhat of an understanding of, of what they're looking at, is that the plan would neither require employers to pay for the uh, leave, nor would it raise taxes. So this is how Rubio and Ivanka Trump are trying to get Republicans in. Usually when Democrats talk about this type of policy, they're talking about raising taxes or they're talking about employers having to pay for it for their employees. What they're trying to do here, which is somewhat innovative, is they would allow people to draw Social Security benefits uh, when they want to take time off for some of these issues. Um, and so what that would do is you could take your Social Security early because usually it happens maybe around 67 or something like that. And then it would it would delay the check when you become of retirement age. So just to give you an example that's given in the article, if you take six weeks off for your baby, um, instead of getting Social Security when you turn on your 67th birthday, uh, you would actually get it six weeks after your 67th birthday. Right. Um, so I, I think right. this is innovative. You can tell they're really thinking through it. And this is how policy is supposed to be made. We see people all the time who just come up with policies that they know could never get passed. They didn't try to, you know, create something that was palatable for Republicans and Democrats. They just push it out there just to say that they did it. We really need to uh, encourage this type of um, policy. We need to encourage people who are actually trying to get something done and not just putting out something out there just because they said a lot of what we're seeing today is posturing and selling wolf tickets. But I applaud, even if you don't agree with this policy, please appreciate the fact that people are trying to get something done that's important and doing it in a way that it can actually get passed. And so I'm hopeful it can happen. 
we have to see, you know, what snares or other things are around that it, that could get, it get, could get caught up on. Excuse me, but this is this is somewhat promising, and I'm hoping that uh, there's a path forward for it. Yeah, and right. I mean, so uh, they're considering various policy interests at stake. I feel like sometimes, especially Christians, uh, when you start talking about policy that's good for people and then you follow it up with a discussion of the politics of it, it makes them feel icky. But like politicians have to worry about the politics. <laughs> they have right. to worry about who's going to support them. And, you know, as someone who's been been, you know, watching the parties vie for votes, I think it was pretty obvious to a lot of uh to many Democrats, and then again, that Reformicon wing of the Republican Party, that there are some, there are some real Democratic votes or Democratic leaning votes that are being, uh, that that would be up for grabs if the Republican Party went all in or even seventy five percent of the way in on a pro family economic agenda. That that actually the politics of this would split in interesting ways for the Republican Party, potentially. Um, and, and and so to see, uh, you know, Senator Marco Rubio, who, you know, has ha- has taken his shots in the past at changing the political dynamics of the Republican Party and have fa- and failed. Uh, but to see him partner with Ivanka, which is interesting on this, um, I don't think there are just policy upsides. And obviously, those are the priority. But one of the things that makes me hopeful is uh, in order to do good policy consistently, you need to have political dynamics that are supporting that process. Uh, and, and you could see it break down in some in some really interesting, interesting ways. And so uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm definitely intrigued to see whether a, a true paid family leave conversation could get uh, could, could get started uh, in Congress. Uh, I think we've been having it for a long time and, and folks have been having it for a long time, but, but uh, to, to, to restart a, a significant paid family leave conversation would, would be great. Um, exactly. And, and again, it's up to us to encourage this type of behavior, whether you agree with this policy or not, you, I think you would have to admit that someone who's going out of their way to try to uh, have a policy that's actually viable is important. And so next time you're with you're thinking about retweeting your favorite politician who had the strongest clapback, maybe we should stop and actually retweet and reward the people who are doing the, this type of thing, whether it passes or not. We can if we encourage it, we'll see more of it. And that's important. Right. Well, just I really don't know, you know, what to say about the next topic, but we felt like we had to discuss it. And that is, you know, this this. uh this memo that was released this last week, which, you know, seems like, you know, the, the latest iteration of, you know, the Russia fusion GPS, um, uh, corruption, you know, investigations into the Trump administration. I don't know about, about you, Justin. I mean, uh, it, it, it's like every week, every three days, there's some new breaking thing that's going to, you know, break the dam. And often, and I think it was the case with this memo, uh, it's not as significant as as folks were making it out to be. It's a lot more complicated. 
uh, we need the, the, the facts to come out. And so we spent days getting all worked up about this memo. And I, I don't think it's an insignificant uh, uh, piece, but, uh, but there, there's a part of me just, and I'll be honest, as, as someone who watches this stuff really closely, um, who just can't follow <laughs> every, uh, or doesn't want to follow every twist and turn in this saga. And I'm just, you know, there's a part of me that's just waiting for Mueller to, to tell us what's what, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but what did you think of, um, this memo, the saga from last week? Um, you know, I think from a constitutional perspective, what was interesting about it is the, 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 the process it went through to be declassified, um, which was an unusual and could be precedent setting in ways that could be, you know, more significant down the line. Uh, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll toss it to you. What did you think of all the, the memo hubbub last week? You know, the brother where, um, to your point, it is hard to keep up with this because so there were so many moving parts. There were so many different narratives that were going along with it. It was it was hard to keep up with what was really going on. And so I, I understand if a lot of people are like, man, I'm just sick of hearing about this. The other thing that we have to realize is it took the air out of the president's State of the Union address. That's right. So this kept getting bigger and people were talking about this instead of talking about the economy and some of the things that he was trying to get people to pay attention to. So it, it, it was a big deal. Uh, I don't know how uh, productive or constructive it was, but it, it took a lot of space uh, in media and all that stuff, a lot of airtime. So the subject of the memo, of this Nunes memo, was Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act abuse by the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, as Brother Weir pointed out last Friday, the House Intelligence Committee declassified and released a draft of a memo that was uh, drafted by their uh, chairman, Devin Nunes, who is a uh, a Republican, I believe, from California. In this memo, it really alleges misconduct and bias against against Republicans. So bias, the, basically saying the FBI was biased against Republicans in relation to the Russian investigation. At the center of the memo was this Steele dossier, uh, which Nunes and others said had unverified and false information in it but that it was actually used um, by the FBI to get a wiretap. So you have to go through this process, this FISA process to get a wiretap. And they're basically saying, well, you guys use this, this uh, political opposition uh, research to get a wiretap. And this, this has basically compromised the whole conversation. So that's, that's basically what Nunes is what they're saying. And so the Trump administration is going along with that narrative. They're basically saying this is proof that the whole process has been compromised, that this is all partisan hogwash. And um, we're, we're, we're basing a serious uh, investigation on a dossier that was just meant for political purposes. Uh, Trump later said that this whole, that this memo basically vindicates him in the whole Ro Russia probe. Not too many people agreed with that. The Dems came out kind of being led by uh, Congressman Adam Schiff. And they're saying that the release of this memo was really just meant to undermine the FBI and just muddy the whole process because the Trump administration does have something to hide when it comes to Russia. They also mentioned that they want their minority report released. They're saying, look, if you're going to release the report coming from the Republicans, then release the report that gives our side of the story. And so we'll see what happens. I think once again, John McCain steps in and says, look, 
this isn't helping anybody. It really is just undermining what's going on with the FBI and the people yeah. deserve to know what's going on with the Mueller investigation that needs to proceed uh, unimpeded. Congressman Trey Gowdy uh, basically said he being from South Carolina, he also said that this has nothing to do with the Mueller investigation. It doesn't speak to that. It may speak to process because that dossier, if it was used, probably shouldn't have been used uh, for that purpose, but he doesn't think that it compromises the investigation. So a lot going on there, hard to pay attention to, but not insignificant. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting, right? Trey, Trey Gowdy uh, announced he's not running for re-election. And so we have someone uh, leading uh, investigatory efforts on the Republican side uh, for the Republican House who, you know, doesn't have as many political constraints as he would otherwise and so I, that's an interesting dynamic uh uh in, in this in this whole thing uh, well just in uh, to stories that are a little easier uh to follow uh and i think a little more exciting that that was a heck of a super bowl i uh i i really enjoyed the game i enjoyed uh i think there was only you know, one punt in the game or something crazy mm -hmm. like that. Uh, 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 to see uh, 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 LeGarrett Blunt uh, run as like he did, to see that undrafted rookie Clement uh, run like he did, and to see Tom Brady get the ball in, you know, uh, impossible circumstances uh in at the end of the game with a minute left it, like you you couldn't top it it was it was a great uh a, a great great matchup i'm glad the eagles won um you know the one thing i will say is uh the patriots decision to sit malcolm butler i think will be discussed all off season and uh there there aren't really any clear answers bill belichick said that he just Put in his best guys, but Malcolm Butler for those is the cornerback who intercepted Russell Wilson uh, to to really end the Seahawks' chance of winning the Super Bowl against the Patriots three years ago, uh, and he's been he's been a starter for the Patriots ever since. Uh, and apparently, just before the game last night, he was told that he would not be starting. Uh, and we saw Alshon Jeffrey uh, really. Uh, work uh butler's replacement row uh especially in the first half of that game until they moved gilmore over to jeffrey uh and I, I think it's a big question mark i mean belichick has earned the right to make those types of decisions but uh they, they gave up they gave up and they gave up 34 points i mean that's that's uh that's not a typical uh a typical patriots defense uh defensive effort so uh, i think that's that's the big that's a big losing decision. And then of course, Doug Peterson, uh, he just played with, or he, he coached with some real audacity last night. I couldn't believe some of the, some of the courageous decisions he was making. It was a good game. And that's rare for me to say as a former defensive back, when there was absolutely no defense play <laughs> played during that game. Uh, you know, I usually like to see a little more defense, but it was entertaining. And as an Atlantan, um, and a Christian. I think it's always good to see an evil empire fall. I was, <laughs> yes. I, was glad, I was glad to see the evil empire of the Patriots fall. I'm kidding. It, it was a good game. Hey, Nick Foles 
um, played an outstanding game for someone who everybody in the country was doubting. Uh, right. When their quarterback went down, they were left with Nick Foles. There are all kind of jokes and memes all over social media. But he stepped in there and played as well as anyone could have expected. Uh, he had an awesome game. He was making good throws. You can say it's the system, and I think partially it's the system that he's in. But he was making some key throws. He was making some very good decisions. Uh, their offensive line played an excellent game. I think both offensive lines played an excellent game. There wasn't. I don't think there was a sack until the end, the fourth quarter, the end of the fourth quarter uh, when it really mattered. Yeah. And those guys just came out to play. Uh, you mentioned the running backs from the Eagles were running like men with purpose. Like they really had a chip on their shoulder and they got the, they got the job done. So I, I wanted to see a good game. I didn't really have a uh, dog in the fight, although obviously, you know, it's hard not to hate on the Patriots. So I was doing a little bit of that. But hey, that's what sports are for. It's one of those areas where. Uh, you can do things that are are not necessarily cool to do uh, in other spaces. So I, I, I was I was glad to see them go down. While I usually don't cheer against uh, people, that's that's kind of what sports are for. So it was it was good, man. I I enjoyed the commercials. Uh, did you have a favorite commercial that you re, you, you recall? The the Giants, the Eli Manning, Odell Beckham uh, was you know the build up. You know, you're kind of watching it and going, you know, what the what's going on? You know, 10 seconds uh, uh, here and there. But the payoff was was worth it. That was uh, hilarious to see. Then to see the linemen sort of get in and start dancing. It was yeah, it was it, it definitely it definitely made me laugh. It was uh, it was well executed. What, what about you? Good stuff. I, I like the Rocket Mortgage uh, one with uh, Keegan Michael uh, Key, yes. where he was kind of breaking down yeah. all the jargon and coming in and explaining what people <laughs> were really saying. I thought that I thought that was funny. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like I like that one too. It was, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, overall, I was kind of under uh, underwhelmed by the commercials. Uh, I was, you know, I don't know if we want to get into this. Uh, I thought the the halftime show was, you know. Perfectly, you know, fine. Uh, I mean, Justin has a lot of great songs that are always, you know, not going to be. Uh, 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 they're always, you know, good to hear. They're always good stadium songs. It was a little weird. I mean, a lot of the songs were decade old. I mean, I feel like he hasn't put out a, a well-received album in in a while. And so a bit of it felt. uh Felt like a throwback, which would work if, you know, if you're talking about Madonna or, you know, Prince who, who perform at the Super Bowl. But to have um, but they have Justin have the ability to do a big throwback performance again, it was fine watching. I thought the choreography of the halftime show was amazing. The way they used the whole field, obviously, the the, the part of the Prince tribute where they scanned out and showed the city was amazing. Uh, but I don't think that that's a, a halftime show that people will be talking about 20 years from now. But it, I, I thought it was also it, it got it got the job done. Yeah, I thought it got the job done. I'll say this, though. Uh, Justin Timberlake must have the best agents in the bill in the in the business, because right. usually uh, performing at the Super Bowl is a is a once in a lifetime opportunity for anyone. Now, especially for someone who had a mishap the last time, you wouldn't you wouldn't think they'd necessarily be coming back. But shouts out to his agent because he knows something <laughs> a lot of other people must not know because he's 
he's putting that guy in some good situations, even with, like, as you said, songs that were basically the same ones you used last time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Gold star agent. That that guy's going to be getting some phone calls. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, Justin, I think we wanted to wrap up with, with kind of an interesting piece, which is, you know, I don't think we're recommending this article because we agree like, like a lot of the stuff we recommend because we agree with every bit of it. And actually I think, you know, if folks read this article, which I hope they will, uh, I think quite a bit of it will upset them and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't agree with this part of the analysis. I don't agree with this part. But the, the Nation has an article, The Reasons Why White Women Vote Republican and What to Do About It by a woman, Ju- Julie Kohler. Julie's with the Democracy Alliance and so a, uh, a, a explicitly progressive organization. and. If folks hang with the article, I think they'll find some reasons to be encouraged. In particular, uh, when you get about two-thirds of the way down, uh, Julie mentions the work of the executive director for the Center for Religion and Civic Culture at USC, this woman, Brie Lascota, uh, and says um, says that... Um, uh, let, let me read from, from uh, this paragraph, uh, and she's talking about uh, what about women in conservative faith traditions uh, whose values and cultural norms remain largely foreign to white secular feminists? Uh, in other words, can, should Democrats, should liberals even be worrying about or thinking about these women? Uh, and uh, she she quotes uh, Brie Lascada saying that actually the question is is off a bit. First, she says, because, quote, it views such women as objects of study or problems to be solved. And more fundamentally, given that many of these women may already be politically organized within conservative and political religious network in networks, it suggests the goal is a society that thinks alike, one in which deep divisions are not tolerated let alone respected or reconciled. Rather, she says, progressives and conservatives alike must embrace a vision of the body politic that allows people with different perspectives to coexist respectfully. And uh, this is language that that we use often, that both Justin and I have, have written about, uh, and, and that, you know, on sort of like, uh, you know, language about pluralism, is common in some in some quarters to see an article that was explicitly about from a liberal perspective how do we get more white women to side with us for the writer to include that perspective the idea that actually yes obviously it's politics we want people to side with us but we also need to have a vision for how we live together responsibly and respectfully uh, it, it was it was encouraging to me to, to to see that. Yeah, I was glad that was added in there. Without it, it could have been a little more problematic uh, because we have a tendency to not be able to disagree with others' world view without dismissing it or without getting right. angry about it. You sometimes you just have to understand that somebody just sees things differently than you, and they may be very thoughtful in that in the way they view things. It's just a different lens through which they see it. Uh, there's not enough conversations like that. And I'm going to be honest with you. Christians do the same thing. I may disagree with somebody's beliefs. I may disagree with someone's uh lifestyle. I'm not going to dismiss them. In fact, I can't dismiss them. 
Uh, I need to seek understanding and try to understand and try to appreciate where they're coming from. If I'm going to be going about the great commission uh, for one reason. Uh, And so it's important that we understand folks. We can't expect people because they're of a certain color of a certain gender to be a monolith. I almost feel like it's mythical. Like we create this mythical utopian place where we really do expect people who look alike to think the same way. Uh, and it's something that we're never going to accomplish. I'm not sure that I ever want us to accomplish that. Uh, but the the number one thing I would want to leave people with is don't dismiss people just because they think differently. We have a lot of people that say, well, if this group voted for that person, they're stupid and all this. And it, and it just goes too far because you can never have a conversation with those people if you don't at least respect where they're coming from or you're trying to understand where they're coming from. And if we can't have conversations, we can't have a good democracy. We can't fix the plot problems that are in front of us. And so we really need to focus on that. I thought it was I thought it was a good article in that it it brought up a question that many people are asking. How could a woman vote for a Republican? Um, It answered that in some way and gave gave differing perspectives. But a lot of it has to do with marriage. It has to do with education. It has to do with religion, which are things that people hold very tightly and sometimes put above other areas of their identity. And we just have yeah. to understand. Yeah, that's right. So, again, that's The Nation. The article is by Julie Kohler, uh, The Reasons Why White Women Vote Republican and What to Do About It. Uh, and we we hope you'll read it for all the reasons we just mentioned. Uh, Justin, uh, I, you know, I made the mistake uh, of accepting a uh, speaking invite to go to Minneapolis in February. I- I'm I'm still excited about it. I'm, I'm glad. I just wish it was a different time of the year. But for all y'all who are stuck up in Minneapolis, which uh, will will probably still be clean up from the Super Bowl uh, and the good times that were had, I'm up at University of Minnesota, Minneapolis on Thursday, uh, February 9th. Uh, or I'm I'm sorry, is that February 8th? Yeah, that's February 8th, Thursday, February yep. 8th, to discuss uh, uh, faith uh, uh, in the public square uh, at an event sponsored by a bunch of the student organizations on campus, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. So hope to hope to see you out there, uh, Justin. What do you have going on? Any any updates with the ad campaign? Yeah, so on the same date, I will actually be up north myself. I will be in New Jersey. I'm going uh, back to Princeton to talk about the black church and uh, politics. And so it should be an interesting conversation. I'm hoping it's not as cold as it is where you're going to be, but but you never know. Uh, So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good, good, good. All right. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll do those events and we'll we'll circle back and and see what we learned and maybe share with you all next week. Until then, uh, have a blessed week. Uh, uh, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Y'all take care. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.